Thank you so much for joining me today on Just Praise Him Radio. I'm your host, Linda Lomax, and my job is to inspire you to a closer walk with Christ. Now here's the show. Hello, believers. Welcome to the Just Praise Him radio show. I'm your host, Glenda Lomax, and the title of my message today is Attacks Are Intensifying. Um, I have with me on the show today my very good friend, Ray Bergman. Before I welcome him to the show, I apologize for my voice. I'm actually in bed with um, some kind of respiratory nonsense. I don't know what it is. It, It came as a very sudden attack after Ray and I had been working on this show for, I think, a week or two, probably as an attempt to keep it from getting out to you. So that tells us that you need it. So anyway, welcome to the show, Ray, and thank you for so much for making time to do this episode with me. It is great being here. And you know, Glenda, a point to make here to listeners real quick. We just wanted you all to know that if you think the attacks you are going through are intensifying, you're not losing your mind. They're getting worse. However, I want to start this episode with the following verse and give glory to God that this came to be considering everything we've all been dealing with lately, specifically the attacks we've had to endure. You know, Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And indeed, that word is true, as it has been before when we present these episodes based on spiritual attacks. And for those who don't know, I recently actually put the uh, last two Glenda and I did up on my uh, blog. You know, the enemy Satan has been recently unleashing an onslaught of attacks against Glenda, myself, and likely many of you. A few of you actually reached out and told me. So that's when Glenda and I got together to uh, take notes and write things down about what kind of attacks we're seeing. But you know, while he may think he's sneaky to throw us off for a short time, anytime that happens, good comes out of it. Whenever these attacks occur, when we believers get together and compare notes on how we can show the rest of you the things to look out for, it works for God's good because we're giving you tips. So indeed, I can say God does cause all things to work together for good. You know, though attacks are never pleasant, if we can turn them into a teaching or a conversation to help someone else, I'm going to give praise and glory to our Father in Jesus' name. Oh, that is so true. And isn't it just like our mighty God to bring good by redeeming what the devil meant for harm? So let's talk about what are some of the attacks the enemy is going after Christians right now with. What are some you have noticed, Ray? Well, you know, one of the ones I've noticed um, primarily is, of course, with everything going on, um, increased anxiety and worry, which can sometimes seem like a vicious cycle, which then in turn wears us down so that we don't pray, which then, if you think about it, we're doing the opposite of the Lord's word, which says in Philippians 4, uh, verses 6 through 7, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You know, in that vicious cycle of anxiety and worry, we're not exactly feeling very thankful, are we? And if we don't have the energy to pray, then the attacks become even more intense. And when you stop and think about it, that doesn't bring glory and honor to God. And it doesn't allow God to give us his peace, 
which surpasses all understanding. And that's exactly what Satan wants. He wants us to be in constant, you know, never-ending cycles of concern, worry, anxiety, um, with everything happening right now. And yes, you should be concerned, but I'm talking about like more on a personal level, like, you know, what is this going to mean for me? And what's this going to mean for my family? You know, and we're not focused, you know, and we need to be focused. And additionally, hindsight being 2020, uh, if you think about it in that cycle, we're not trusting God the way we need to be. Something we really need to consider. I agree. And when I'm being attacked, I lose all focus. If you are concerned about how you're going to pay your rent or your light bill, everything else pales by comparison. I get upset when I'm under intense attack because it affects the quality of ministry that I can put out. And being distracted, I may miss seeing when someone else needs me. It absolutely does, Glinda. And, you know, another thing, it affects our attitude toward helping people because we're so worn down. Then it's like we're very we can get very short and because we're upset under so much pressure. My ministry gets affected, too. I don't get as much done. You know, and by the way, part of that anxiety can lead to infighting where then we're not seeing when someone needs us, like you just said. You know, the enemy likes to distract, but one of his favorite tactics also is trying to get fellow Christians infighting against one another. Or to make us think that someone has done something against us even when they haven't. Or that a situation is worse than it actually is. You know, we want to make sure that we don't fall into that as per the following verses, which I'm going to read from the Amplified Bible, so that there's no room for confusion over the words used. If you look at 2 Timothy 2, verse 16, but avoid all irrelevant babble and godless chatter with its profane and empty words, for it will lead to further ungodliness. 2 Timothy 2, verse 23, but have nothing to do with foolish and ignorant speculations. And what that means is useless disputes over unedifying, stupid controversies since you know that they produce strife and give birth to quarrels. So what does unedifying mean? Well, unedifying means language that is not morally uplifting, instructive, or helpful. We always want to put into practice what we preach. And isn't the first thing we want to do when we are out of sorts to call somebody up and talk about it? Especially we have the female gender, because that is how we process everything verbally. Yeah, well, Glenda, I think that as people, we want to have a support structure. I mean, I don't know anybody who doesn't like to talk things out when they're feeling upset to get a second, you know, set of eyes looking in from the outside. It's just that we need to be careful about what we say. And in the heat of being upset about something or being under attack, that's a challenge that we have to work through. So this is an especially big temptation for us. And the word says in Proverbs ten nineteen. In the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he who refraineth his lips is wise. That means if you talk too much, it's for sure you're going to sin in there, and holding your tongue is the sign of wisdom. Yes, Glenda, exactly. And like the word says, if you engage in such, you know, the guilt that comes on you is so bad that once you realize you've done wrong by initially feeling like someone was against you when they weren't, you're going to feel, of course, very upset about that. But you know what? That is the Lord's repentance in that case, and that's the sorrow he wants you to feel so as to not be confused with condemnation, but it's why you want to watch being led into such in the first place. And I wouldn't be able to speak to that if I had never messed up and done it myself. 
I'm pretty sure everyone has dropped the ball on that at one time or another. I know I have, like I was just saying. Excellent point, Ray. I'm sure I have myself. And I can remember numerous times when someone tried to get me stirred up to strike out at somebody. Satan is the one who does it most. We have to recognize these attacks and cast them far from us, or we will be used to discourage someone else. The spirit of offense is often at work when these attacks are happening. Yes, it is the spirit of offense. And yes, Satan's behind it because that's what he wants. Arguments and speculation are two of the attacks the enemy likes to use, especially in the time we're in. Because whereas Christians ought to be coming together, Satan loves to get everyone in fighting over stupid things that don't matter. You know, it's he who works by deception and division. And this attack, by the way, is huge right now. It's also a waste of time to get caught up in it. And you know, if you think about it, did he not do a great job getting everyone suspicious of each other and infighting over the last two years when it came to the whole COVID thing? I mean, the writing's on the wall with that one. I agree. And in the times coming, God has said Christians of the true faith are going to need to band together in groups. It is difficult enough facing persecution, but as the persecution intensifies, we need to band into groups so we can pray for each other and encourage each other too, because a lot of people are going to lose hope in that time. Yes, and that's why we need to resist being led into foolish arguments that won't matter later on, because we're going to have to give an account for that. And so as we continue, what are some other ways the enemy is attacking the body of Christ right now in this late hour? What have you seen, Glenda? Trying to wear us down to the point we want to turn to earthly comforts, sins, instead of God. Fatigue that does not let up no matter what we do. I don't mean the I'm tired because I worked all day tired. I mean the I feel like I ran a marathon after not sleeping for three days when I didn't abnormal level of tired that is happening for no apparent reason. Like you just woke up after sleeping for eight hours and you feel like that. Tired that is unexplainable. I've experienced that many times, Glenda. I know all too well what you're talking about there. Remember when Jezebel started threatening Elijah? What had Elijah done? He had just triumphed in the great showdown at Mount Carmel, where he had proved Baal was nothing but a figment of their imagination that Yahweh God was God, the God who answers by fire. And he had slain 450 prophets of Baal. Jezebel championed Baal worship and the worship of other false gods. Instead of doing what a wise person would do and admitting that Yahweh was the one true God, she wanted to silence Elijah so he could not tell anyone else who the real God was. So she sent him a message after Ahab had told her what happened. 1 Kings 19.2 Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me and more also if I make not thy life as one of them by tomorrow about this time. And Elijah said, Jezebel's mad, I'm out of here, and headed for the wilderness, and I don't blame him, and ask God to kill him. And the Lord sent an angel to feed him, so he ate, 1 Kings 19.5. And then the angel woke him a second time and again said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And Elijah did not need to eat again for 40 days and 40 nights as he went to Mount Oreb, a journey of over 200 miles, 1 Kings 19.8. I think we can be sure if Elijah got that tired that we may as well, if we are doing the Lord's work. We may not be slaying false prophets, but we are working nonetheless And any time you make a move for the Lord, Satan makes a move against you. And then you have to cancel his moves and attacks to keep on going. 
it's very weary work after a while. Well, you know, on the subject of the false prophets, I actually just did a podcast where I was calling out um, somebody I saw doing that. And that's the only thing that we do do is we have to, you know, counteract doublespeak because we are in a time where there are those who are leading others astray, telling them everything's going to be peaceful and, you know, things are going to be redeemed in this country. And we see, you know, the time we're in. So, you know, there's no arguing over that, but that is taking place. And that in itself is exhausting because there's a lot of times we do have to refrain. But, you know, if the kettle's black, you got to call it what it is. If it walks like a duck, quacks like a duck, you know, we're told to know by their fruits. But the warfare, when you do it, I agree, it can be exhausting to anyone who doesn't know. And, you know, another thing the enemy likes to do is attacks of trying to condemn us that we can't be forgiven. That if we do slip up under attack and sin in some way, you know, we're already prone to sin in our human nature. But when you're under a lot of pressure, the enemy loves to tempt us and then go, they bought it. And now I will try to tell them they can't be forgiven. You know, he's a snake and anything to get us to slip up. That's that's what is, uh, you know, that's the name of the game. That's what Satan tries to do. And then naturally we feel bad for days on end if we end up slipping up. But remember, First John 1, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Uh. That warfare alone is exhausting, fighting condemnation, fighting Satan's retaliation. It gets to where we are fighting, 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 and that's, you know, all we get to do. It is very exhausting at times, Glenda, but I wanted to remind listeners, whenever the enemy tries to get you caught up in a never-ending pattern of guilt or condemnation, Romans 8.1, there is therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, obviously, that doesn't mean grave sin like going around committing adultery or finishing off a gallon of alcohol and then beating someone over the head just because you feel they deserve it. No, if you do that, you may have bigger fish to fry. No, what I'm talking about is choice words that may come out of our mouth or certain actions we may resort to on a whim because when we're under attack, the danger is our reaction. And, you know, like I was just saying... At times, we get caught up in that moment, and we have a tendency to react. It's just human nature. But we need to remember James 1, 19 through 20. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. But you know, Glenda, on the flip side of the coin, I'm going to take it a step further. And that is Galatians 5, 26. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. And another translation of that is, let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Because there's times I've been under attack and I'll feel like questions I'll get asked are provoking. Like, oh, you're a minister, so, or you're teaching the word, you're not supposed to get angry. And it's like, that doesn't give you a license to treat me like a piece of dung and then try to provoke me to say something. Because in that regard, you're going to get rebuked. So it's important that I clarify that because there's people hearing us talking about this who may think that that gets them an out-of-jail-free card, and it doesn't work that way. You know, Philippians 2.3, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty pride, but in humility, consider others more important than yourself. So a very, very important part that I had to include while talking on that very point. 
And, you know, the person doing that may not mean it out of selfish ambition or meaning to deliberately provoke, but that's the way the enemy likes to slither in there and try to get people engaged in strife. And he'll do it when someone's under a lot of pressure. So that's another thing to be aware of. If somebody tells you or it's apparent they're not having a good day, don't provoke them. Back off. You know, just let it be and just walk away and, you know, pray for them. You know, we're going to get into that later, but that's an important point to mention. Yes, and remember, too, that wherever your gift is, that is where you will be tempted. That is where you will be attacked the most. Example, my gift is in my mouth or my voice, and Ray, yours is, too. So we have to be especially careful during these attacks, how we answer, if we answer at all. Amen to that, Glenda. Yes, and it goes in line with what I was saying just a bit ago when it comes to saying unedifying things. James 3, 1 through 4, speaks to not just the tongue when it comes to all believers, but also the very point that those of us in leadership are held to a higher degree of accountability when we slip up. And I say, when? Because I can admit, I've said wrong things before. I mean, I'm human just like everyone else. But the point is, when you recognize that you're doing it, or you recognize that you've done something wrong or said something wrong, you go back to the drawing board and you try to do better. And what's the drawing board? Well, it's the Lord's word. But we've all done that at one time or another. Oh, me too. That's how I learned to catch myself before I opened my mouth. And that was, yeah, okay. I was going through an attack like this online many years ago, and the person was being really, really hateful. And I was already pretty beat down. I was out of money. I was worried about whether I was even going to be able to continue working the ministry or was I going to have to go back to work? You know, because when the money don't come in, you got bills to pay. You got to go get a job, right? That's the choice you have to make in the world of ministry. And I was feeling so upset. And I went to type an answer to this person. And I was, of course, praying as I did it. Because I'm praying like pretty much all the time. And the Lord said, silence cannot be misquoted. And I was like, okay. Yeah, so my answer was silence after he said that. I did not type anything. I hung my head and went back to my chair to pray. And another thing I will say to those of you enduring attacks like this right now, you can usually give a scripture as your answer and say nothing else. And many times you will not be doing anything wrong by answering that way. We as Christians have to stay out of strife. You know, I can relate to that so much, Glenda. I had a temptation like that about a year ago, or I think it was more than that now. It was on YouTube, and it was something that was related to the news, but somebody had made a quote of a Bible verse, and somebody came in there and said, oh, you believe the Bible, and it just talks about, it's a fairy tale, and it talks about unicorns, and da-da-da-da-da. And I was about to comment. I had my finger right on the phone, right where you put the comment in, and I was just about to rebuke them using the word, but... I believe I heard the Lord say, son, stop, just as I was about to respond. So, I mean, I can relate to that. And of course, I backed off grumbling. But in that moment, I also felt I heard the Lord reassuringly say he would show them. Now, when he shows them, I don't know. I hope it's not in what's coming, but I hope they have learned since then. But you know, Glenda, even if I had responded to that person, what would have been the point to have the last word? You know, that would have been pride. God's going to have the last word regardless, just as John 1 verse 1 states. But you know, like I said, in some instances, we don't always catch ourselves and obey the Spirit, even though we're supposed to. 
And so in the event we slip up, we want to be quick to confess those to someone we can confide in, as well as confess them in prayer like the word says we're supposed to. It doesn't mean that it makes it okay to keep doing it. The point is we don't want to have the attitude that we're right, because that type of unrepentance leads us into pride, and we all know God does not smile on a haughty spirit. Remember, if someone does us wrong, God will pay them back. That revenge does not belong to us. It's important to mention that. Yes, and it does not help to respond to people who do not believe in God anyway. And vengeance is not ours, but his. There are a lot of trolls on YouTube that just get on there and spew hate every day. I guess they have no life to keep them busy. So they just hate on everybody else for their as their hobby. They're ridiculous. No, it does no good to throw pearls to swine. I'm absolutely in agreement with you there. And you know, Ray, another thing about the intense attacks coming now, and these are not just happening to us, but to other people I know, is they are so much more difficult to take when you're also dealing with other things like family difficulties or contributions being low or any kind of attack in your body, etc. So here's another type of attack by the enemy. Situations which take up your time and deplete your income. My friend Nicole is going through a terrible situation right now. She just found out that she has a a bad termite infestation at her house. Her termite contractor, who's been treating her house since 2009, appears to be trying to cast blame elsewhere, and it's thousands of dollars to fix, just to replace the wood they pulled off. So please pray for her. She's feeling pretty overwhelmed right now. She's about to talk to her insurance company and all of that, and I'm sure it's going to all be worked out. But like any of us, when we're staring at an amount that is impossible for us to come up with and no way to come up with it, we spend a lot of time just trying not to panic, don't we? Another type of attack, attacks of sickness or unrelenting pain. Those will put the brakes on your day real quick. Yes, the attacks of sickness. I experienced that right before we recorded our first Judgment Series podcast. We were about to, we had just got done taking our notes and getting them ready. And suddenly I got sick for like a week, and that's why it took so long. And people are probably wondering, by the way, why part three is not out yet. Well, it's because we've had other things coming up that the Lord wants us to put out, but it's also been because of the attacks. So, you know, there's a timing on it, and we're just going to have to trust the Lord. But, you know, the enemy likes to try to cause fear and distress over a situation like you were just talking about with Nicole. And he tries to convince us in some way that God won't come through on his promises, and we know that's a lie. You know, it's all the more important reasons we have to use the word as our sword. Oh, yes, definitely fear attacks. And fear, once it sets in, tends to increase quickly. We will have to guard against these a lot in the rest of our time here on earth. But if you walk closely with the Lord, I find that fear is not as much of a problem. You know, and on that point, um, there's been times I've had to wait extensively long and One time I was getting upset because I wasn't seeing any results to my prayer. And that's another thing you have to do sometimes, because it's not always an attack. Sometimes there's trials and tests you're waiting through. But, you know, one time the Lord told me when I was very upset about something I had been asking and praying for for a long time. And he said, son, just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't. Trust my timing. And, you know, Ecclesiastes, I can't remember the verse right offhand, but there's a time and a season for everything. And it is. It's all about trusting that he will come through. Even if it's not when we expect, he will come through. And speaking of provision, have you ever noticed how the enemy wants you to believe the Lord will provide for brother or sister so-and-so, but just not you? And then he usually 
kind of hints that it's because, you know, some sin you did 40 years ago that you're already forgiven for. Yeah. Uh, yes. Relentless attacks of, oh, the Lord likes them better than you. And we know that's a lie because Romans 2.11 states God has no favorites. And not everything is an attack either. Sometimes we're tested, like I was just saying. And maybe we can do a show on tests in the future, but going back to what you were saying on the point of something from years ago, that's condemnation attacks right there. And we've talked about that before. You know, on that point, dreams are another way he likes to attack. And I'm talking about, like, dreams of intimate encounters from someone you may have been involved with years ago that you've long since forgotten. You're not even entertaining any thoughts or thinking about the person, and they just come in when you're sleeping. Almost as if Satan is trying to lead you back into a life you left behind when you came back to Jesus. And you'll be thinking to yourself, where did that come from? And you know, it's baffling. Because, like I was just saying, they're not even in your thoughts. And you almost feel that, too, is a condemnation attack. Especially if the relationship was inappropriate. It's as if he's rubbing it in, so as to say, you did something very bad, and we'll never be free of it. Or trying to convince you that it's not been forgiven or covered under the blood. You know, I don't have those often, thankfully, but I've experienced them a few times before. And when I have, I've expressly said no in that dream, and I noticed that the dream will come to an end. And I'm sure others out there have experienced that too, which is why I bring it up. But it is highly frustrating, especially in my case, if I'm trying to pray for a prophetic dream and I get that kind of junk instead, which is not what I'm obviously looking for. But yeah, it can be part of the attacks of condemnation. But you know, again, like I quoted earlier, Romans 8 verse 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So in an instant like that, you can quote that. And, you know, speaking of Romans 8, I've said many times before that Romans 8 is a key chapter because there are many verses of reassurance in that chapter alone when it comes to the enemy trying to lie and separate us from God's love. You know, you might say, for example, no one can be against me, for God is for me. Additionally, you may quote something such as, nothing and no one shall separate me from the love of Christ, not tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or the sword. And, you know, if you're in lack, like you were just talking about, or if you're in fear of lack, you could say something like, the Lord God is my sun and shield. He gives me grace and glory, and he will be glorified. The Lord will withhold no good thing from those who do what is right. Now, that's just a few examples, but you got to start somewhere. So it always helps to get to know um, just even the basics that you can use. Those are great suggestions, right? And yes, if you're walking in purity, the enemy will just try to attack you in your sleep. But if you are in a strong walk, you will find you can rebuke him there too. And eventually he stops those sleep attacks because he cannot get you to sin in them. You know, purity in this journey is a progression. We don't lose our sin nature because we gave our hearts to Jesus right away. He got our heart, but sometimes, especially if you were in the world a long time before you got saved, your flesh takes a little bit longer. You have to put your foot down and say, no, Satan, I don't serve you anymore. I serve the Lord Jesus Christ and him only will I serve. Not today, you sorry devil, and not tomorrow either. Anytime sin presents itself as an option, if you do that, if you rebuke the devil, you will start wearing the devil out instead of him wearing you out. 
And we all have to fight that battle to some degree. Just be sure you win it, but it can really wear you out. Oh, yes, it does. And by the way, another one, Glinda, is from Galatians 2, verse 20, where you could say, It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. Just thought I would mention that one since I've used it many times before. But you know, when it comes to wearing down the saints, which of course this is all part of, this new round of attacks has been more intense and it's not going to get any better. In fact, these attacks are likely going to get more intense as time goes on because we're in the end times. We can't expect that the attacks are going to stop when the judgments begin. What we can expect is that Satan and his minions are going to be pulling double duty while much of the body is under a lot of duress. You know, essentially, we must prepare for anything and everything, including the kitchen sink being thrown our way. You know, consider it training, because if it's increasing now the way it is, it's giving us the opportunity to learn how to be quick at catching it. And that's going to be the majority of the battle, is recognizing how it comes about, and being quick to react on it. I absolutely agree 200%. It will get worse, a lot worse. The Lord has told us this will not stop. It will only increase. And you know, Glenda, one last thing. I want to go back to something you made brief mention of about sticking together. And that falls right in line with James 5, verses 14 through 15, which read, Is any sick among you? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith shall save the sick, and the Lord shall raise him up. And if he have committed sins, they shall be forgiven him. Now let's take a look at verse 14. When the word says, is anyone sick among you? That does not just mean with a case of the sniffles. It means more than that. It's translation for when another believer is down or weakened, that we lift them up to the Lord in place of their prayers when they are under extreme circumstances and cannot do it as much or at all for themselves. And, you know, going on to verse 15, verse 15 lays out that the prayer of faith shall save the sick or helpless in other ways. Verse 16 says, confess your faults to one another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Yes, I agree. Group and pray together. Pray for each other. Yes. And you might notice when someone says they need prayer and others will say, I will pray for you. And that's exactly what those verses I just read from James 5 pertain to. You know, I got asked by someone about that post I put up the day before last, of which I've since taken down since I recognized the sneaky attack. But they said to me that it sounded like I was attention-seeking. Well, I just want to propose this. As a Christian, do I not have the permission to speak of what I'm going through so as to ask for prayer? I'm pretty sure that going by what I read from James chapter 5, verses 14 through 15, I do, according to at least what my Bible says. So folks need not be confused over need for prayer and calling a situation what it is versus attention-seeking. You know, as Christians, we should not be confused on that point. Well, we could stay silent when we are in need of encouragement or whatever else. But then what happens when that need overcomes us? 
We won't be teaching anymore. We won't be putting out the prophetic messages. And the sheep will have less food. And that's not what God told us to do, right? The devil would love that. I don't believe it's attention-seeking. As a minister, I see it as a cry for help. You are very isolated. I don't know how many people out there know your situation, but you are completely dependent on your ministry for support. What else could you have done but ask for help? And calling you an attention-seeker really is not helpful or edifying at all. I am a little bit appalled that someone said that to you. I can remember having experiences like that, of being called this or that name or unjustly accused, mostly early on in my ministry, and they almost always came from people on the YouTube platform. Well, it can come from those around you too, and it's not edifying like I was just talking about earlier. And that type of questioning to me is just as bad as when I'm feeling upset and someone tells me that as a teacher and as a prophet, I should have the peace of Christ in my heart. That has to be one of the few most disconnected statements I have heard since I've been in ministry. As if I'm not a person and we don't go through our own troubles ourselves, just like anyone else. I mean, you want to talk about holding the tongue when you're already under pressure and you have the devil trying to wear you down and breathing down your neck. You know, let me just say, nobody would have walked up to Jesus in the wilderness when he was under duress and being tempted with sin and said to him, well, you should just have peace when he was rebuking Satan, okay? So my point here is, if you're one of those making such a disconnected comment, then you can expect one of two things. Silence, like Glinda was just talking about a little bit ago, or a rebuke. For every tongue that rises against me, I shall show to be in the wrong. For these are the benefits enjoyed by the servants of the Lord. And for anyone who wants to know, that's quoting the latter half of Isaiah fifty four seventeen. You know, since we're on the topic of rebuking attacks, there you go. Oh, well said. You are so right. Nobody would have walked up to Jesus and said that even before they knew who he was. Well, you know, Glenda, I want to be clear. The person who said that to me or suggested that probably is unaware what it sounds like and just doesn't understand. But ladies and gentlemen, we are not robots. And statements like that, they're not helping someone who is dealing with an onslaught of attacks. Oh, I cannot say amen loud enough to that. I don't think most people know the level of attacks we walk in every day, every week, just for teaching the word and prophesying. Well, when someone is under attack, you should be supportive of them. We're supposed to lift one another up in prayer. And the word specifically states, let him call the elders of the church to pray over him. It doesn't say you should stay silent because you might be attention seeking. And, you know, additionally, Galatians chapter six, verse two says, carry each other's burdens and in this way fulfill, which means obey the law of Christ, which is to love one another, to show charity to one another. That's walking in the true faith. Yes, and if anything, those in kingdom work experience more attacks. We have a target on our backs because of what we do. The average person out there doing nothing for the Lord is helping Satan by their silence and lack of participation. When you go into ministry, you join the Lord Jesus in riding out into war, and the devil answers that as often as he can with an attack of his own. Make no mistake. That's why we have to do so much warfare. He attacks everything he can get to in our lives. Yes, and 
Well, you got to remember, too, we're told to count the costs, and we do. You know, those of us who teach the word and prophesy, we go through the same, if not more, intense attacks due to our calling, like you just said, and we're tested, too. So provoking someone when they're under extreme pressure, is that's just not helpful. And like you just said, Glenda, if you're doing that, you may as well be Satan's little assistant. And you know, to make my final point, as I recall, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 11 says, Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. And you know, Glenda, on that verse, I want to make a separate point. And we sort of touched on this at the beginning, but I got to thinking about this when I was making notes for this podcast. We need to be considering those who are in a wilderness or may be finding themselves in one eventually. You know, there are a lot of individuals out there who may be finding themselves in a wilderness right now. And if anyone has been in one of those, they know exactly what I'm talking about. Comments need to be helpful, not condescending. Remember, edifying. Because think about it. And I mentioned this in the Refining Podcast I did months back. You would not want to be treated that way if it were you going through that. Now, would you? The golden rule, treat people how you would want to be treated. If you were under stress, would you want to be poked in the eye constantly? Well, why did you say that? Why did you say that? Why don't you just get a job? Why are you lazy? I mean, I know how it was when I went through that. And it was very unpleasant, and it made me feel worse. You know, that person in the wilderness already knows they need a job, or they already know that they need to repent. And we don't need to be making insulting comments. It's one thing if you're teaching on it, and you're attempting to, you know, provide meaningful instruction, and sometimes you got to say what you got to say, just trying to do it on a graceful side. But I'm talking about everyday individuals around those individuals. If you're adding insult to injury, that is not helping. And honestly, it's as annoying as beating a galvanized trash can next to someone's head when they're trying to sleep. You know, I was speaking of provocation earlier. So in the same way, unhelpful comments, that's just baiting someone. And the risk in the end is leading both people into strife. Oh, yeah. Along with the doubt shouters come the accusers, and we know who sent them to accuse, don't we? The accuser himself. Well, the word says in Romans 2, 1, Therefore thou art inexcusable, O man, whosoever thou art that judgest. For wherein thou judgest another, thou condemnest thyself. For thou that judgest doest the same things. What I have learned over the years about that verse is that if you judge someone else, the Lord will put you in a similar situation so you can find out what it was like walking in their shoes. I have seen this again and again and again. So you better be careful who you run your mouth to and about because that bus is coming back around and this time it will hit you. I'm just saying. As a Christian, why would you add insult to injury? Why? We are supposed to offer comfort, not condemnation. God didn't call you to condemn people, especially to those around us, because like I was just saying, there are going to be many who are backslidden, returning to the Lord or finding him in the coming seasons, and we need to be ready to embrace them, not tell them that they're attention-seeking or being dramatic or this or that. That includes those who are going through trials, too. 
And in this time, the Lord will not look the other way while you insult another believer, especially a new one. You will get smacked. He wants those souls in the kingdom, not going back into sin or drug use or alcohol or whatever else because you were ugly to them and they didn't know what to do with their feelings. You better understand how serious this is to him now, not later. I'm talking about things he has shown me about what is coming. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Calling people names does not minister grace to anybody. I'm just saying. And then one more as it pertains to rebuke with the word, since we're on the subject of warfare today, Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So just saying, when it comes to everything, it's all in the word. And it's pretty clear what the intent of the heart is of somebody that's name-calling, isn't it? So to sum it up, What are the solutions to these intensifying attacks? Getting to know and quoting or reciting the word as it applies to your situation. Ray just went over some of those a minute ago from Romans 8. Calling on fellow brothers and sisters to pray, to encourage you through what you're going through. Get together and pray with other Christians. This is where it really helps to have a church family, y'all, or a Bible study group. Take care of yourself as well as you can because if you don't, you open up the door to attacks on your body. Ask for help from appropriate parties if you are really in need. Rebuke the devil when he tries to tempt you to sin. Do spiritual warfare against the attacks and cancel the attacks one by one. Hold your tongue and don't respond to petty attacks or to petty people. We hope this podcast has been a help to you. I know many of you are also under attack and the attacks are intensifying on you as well. If you have found something that helps with the attacks that we did not mention, please post a comment to help others. If this helps you, please pass it on to your friends because it might help them too. Ray, I want to thank you again for being on the show. You always bring so much to the table when you're on Just Praise Him Radio. We really appreciate your time. Thank you for having me, Glenda. It's always great being here, as always. Thanks for listening. Jesus bless you. Y'all have a great week. Thank you so much for tuning in today to Just Praise Him Radio. You can contact me by mail at my new address, JPH Inc., Glenda Lomax, P.O. Box 60, Glencoe, Arkansas 72539, or by email at jphtoday at gmail.com. JPH is not affiliated with any nonprofit organization, church, or denomination. Does your life feel like it's falling apart around you? Are multiple things going wrong all at once? Does it seem all your comforts have been stripped away? You may have entered the wilderness. Wilderness experiences are oftentimes of great discomfort and lack. 
Every Christian must pass through the desert on the way to their promised land. Find out how to go from surviving to thriving by partnering with God as He leads you in the path that will strengthen your faith and prepare you to step into your destiny. The Wilderness Companion will help you find out why you have been led into the wilderness. Find out the biggest hindrances to receiving the provision you need in the wilderness. Find out what the seven temptations of the wilderness are. Learn how to partner with God in His purposes for you in the desert seasons. Get your copy of The Wilderness Companion today. The Wilderness Companion by Glenda Lomax on Amazon.com in print, Kindle, or audiobook. Are there areas of sin in your life you just can't seem to overcome no matter how hard you try? Many people live their whole lives under curses without understanding they can be free. Learn what the scriptures say about curses and why they are still relevant today. Hosea 4.6 says, My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Learn how to defeat every curse through the power of the cross of Jesus Christ. If you have the knowledge, you can break curses off your life and start experiencing breakthroughs like never before. In the book Loosed from Chains of Darkness, you will learn the basics of four different types of curses. Loosed from Chains of Darkness is the most comprehensive curse-breaking book on the market today. Get your copy of Loosed from Chains of Darkness by Glenda Lomax, available on Amazon.com in print, Kindle, and audiobook versions. If you ask anyone you know what the most difficult experience of their life has been, many will answer about a time of betrayal. All those called to walk the narrow path will at some point encounter Judas. How will you respond? Do you know how to recognize Judas when he shows up in your life? Can you keep Judas from bringing destruction to your life and ministry? How can you minimize what Judas cost you? Can you pass the test of absolute betrayal? Get your copy of The Judas Test, available in print and new audiobook, The Judas Test by Glenda Lomax, available now on Amazon.com. Sold out for 30 pieces of silver? In Exodus 21:32, it is the price of a dead slave. In Leviticus 27, 2-7, it is the price of a live one. Jesus was sold for the price of a bondservant. Precious Jesus, the Son of God, the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, why did Judas sell his friend out so cheap?